This is a Squeeze podcast. We're your shortcut to being informed. Good morning, I'm Eliza Harvey. And I'm Claire Kimball. It's Monday the 7th of February. In your Squiz today, the federal government in crisis mode. Bushfires flare up in the West, Queen Elizabeth's Platinum Jubilee and Australia's first gold medal at the Winter Olympics. This is your Squiz today. Federal politicians are heading back to Canberra today for the first week of Parliament of this election year, and they'll make that journey amidst headlines about a government in crisis mode. And Claire, that's because the Deputy Prime Minister and Nationals leader Barnaby Joyce offered to resign over the weekend after calling the PM a hypocrite and a liar. Yeah, it doesn't happen every weekend that the Deputy Prime Minister (laughs) offers to resign, so you can understand why people are calling it a crisis. Of course, the government had a very bad week last week. There was that text message exchange between former New South Wales Premier and an unnamed Liberal Cabinet Minister uh, that called the Prime Minister uh, a horrible person and also a complete psycho. And then we got into the weekend and it was exposed that Barnaby Joyce, when he was on the backbench early last year, had sent a text message that was intended for Brittany Higgins, the former Liberal staffer who had accused a colleague of sexual assault. Uh, He sent a message saying that he didn't trust the Prime Minister, uh, as you say, that he was a hypocrite and a liar. Barnaby Joyce fessed up to that and said that he was disappointed that it was exposed, but that he had extended an offer to resign. But all in all, the pair say that they're working very closely together, that they get along very well and that all is fine. I'm sure lots of uh, material there for the opposition to work with. But of course, with uh, Parliament back, there'll be lots more talk about government disunity and government business, with one of the key issues being the COVID crisis in the aged care sector. Yeah, putting aside the government's in-house problems, there is plenty going on. Uh, There is that crisis in the aged care sector, again, with an Omicron wave, uh, creating terrible challenges the Prime Minister says in the sector. Uh, What he did over the weekend uh, was ask for a plan for the Defence Force to come into aged care homes to help with the crisis there. Of course, plenty of staff who are unable to work. Also on the agenda this week, the National Security Committee of Cabinet is considering a plan to open our borders to international tourists. There's a meeting that's happening today. A decision on that isn't expected today, but uh, what Karen Andrews, the Home Affairs Minister said yesterday is that that's a decision that's very close. Also taking up a lot of time is the religious discrimination laws. They, of course, didn't make a lot of progress last year, but they have over the summer break uh, with committees looking into those laws and it'll be on the business list for the House of Reps and the Senate this week. And of course, there's not a lot of sitting weeks between now and when an election is due to be held in May. So get set for a big fortnight of politics from Canberra. Claire, it's been a hot, dry summer in WA and bushfires have flared up in both the southwest and great southern regions of the state. Liza, you know Western Australia a lot better than I do, having spent it's true, a fair bit many, of many time years there. over there. <laughs> <laughs> but what is happening is in the southwest and great southern regions, the towns of Bridgetown and Denmark, 
had these incredibly big blazes bearing down on them uh, between Friday and Saturday. Uh, Authorities are also eyeing a third fire near Blackrock, which is east of Perth in the Wheatbelt region. What emergency services say is that they're really hoping that milder conditions today will help bring those fires under control. There's been buildings lost. There's been at least five homes, uh, but there's a lot more work to get across exactly how much damage has been uh, extracted over the weekend. And there was another big shock in that region near the city of Esperance. A teenager was bitten by a shark. He's now recovering in hospital. That was at a really popular surf break called Kelp Beds, the same area where a surfer disappeared after being attacked by a shark in 2020. And another teenager was fatally mauled in 2017. Claire, the much-anticipated paid media interview with the parents of Cleo Smith was aired on 60 Minutes last night, and they outlined some pretty scary details about her abduction in October. Yeah, they did. Uh, Terence Kelly is the man who has pleaded guilty uh, to snatching Cleo from the family's tent. Uh, What they said is that they weren't targeted by Kelly, that it was the child's bike outside uh, that was an indicator. Police don't think that he had tracked them from Carnarvon, where both Kelly and the family lived. What they say is that the noise that night, there was a lot of wind and the ocean was really roaring, so they didn't hear anything happening. Ellie her mother said that she could tell straight away that Cleo's hair had been cut and coloured uh, and that they were pretty angry about that. Of course, it forced up all sorts of emotions about her being missing for 18 days and what might have happened to her. Uh, they say that they're not pushing her for details, but they're really focused on trying to make things uh, as happy as possible and move past it on their healing journey. Yeah, her mother described her as okay, happy, bubbly, but a little bit angry she said she's ultimately getting there and the family does plan on leaving Carnarvon for an extended caravan holiday a bit of a scoping tour to find a place to make a new start. It was a big day yesterday for Royal Watchers Clare, with Queen Elizabeth formally marking 70 years on the throne since her beloved dad, King George VI, died in his sleep at the age of just 58, catapulting Elizabeth into the big job. Yeah, and there's going to be a lot of events in the middle of the year, which of course marks when she was coronated. But yesterday was that date when she did formally take the reins. She's the first British monarch to celebrate the milestone. And of course, that's an incredible achievement. No other monarch has been on the throne for 70 years, uh, a sign of her longevity. And in a thanks to the public, she has put a letter up on social media. Uh, She's paid tribute to her husband, of course, the Duke of Edinburgh, Prince Philip, who died last year. And she said that it's her sincere wish that her daughter-in-law, Camilla, is referred to as Queen Consort uh, when Charles gets his go at the monarchy. Of course, I don't know that that's ever going to happen. Queen Elizabeth's going to go on forever. She looked very sprightly uh, over the weekend, didn't she? She was there at Sandringham, which is her Mm. sort of personal country estate. But as you mentioned, five months of celebrations, including a pudding competition overseas by Mary Berry. I'm actually very excited about that pudding competition (laughs) uh, culminating in that long weekend in June. Australian men's cricket coach Justin Langer resigned on Saturday after rejecting Cricket Australia's offer of just a six-month contract extension. He was said to be insulted by that limited offer and Claire that unleashed a flurry of his supporters taking aim at both Cricket Australia's poor management and Captain Pat Cummins. 
Yeah, a lot of unhappiness, it seems, around men's cricket at the moment. Uh, Langer, for his part, has taken off to Western Australia, which, of course, is home for him. He hasn't been home since October. Uh, So he has released a letter overnight. He said that it was important that people see what he put to Cricket Australia. Uh, And in that letter, he said that he respects their decision to move in another direction uh, and that it was very clear that some of the senior players and officials wanted him gone. So he didn't see the point in extending his contract for six months. And assistant coach Andrew McDonald will now lead the squad ahead of next month's tour to Pakistan. It was a golden night at the Winter Olympics in Beijing, Claire. Women's mogul Jakara Anthony, who actually hails from the North Queensland city of Cairns, would you believe? She was the favourite to win last night's final and she nailed it. So good to see her take that gold. She had an incredible lead in to the Games by winning all sorts of World Cup events. Uh, What she said last night is that she had to stay focused on what she needed to do because that was all that she could control in that moment. She's the sixth Aussie to win Winter Olympics gold and she's the first to do it in 12 years. Also in the medals was Tess Cody. She claimed bronze yesterday uh, in the women's slope-style snowboarding event. Not having such a great Sunday, though, were our mixed doubles curlers, Tali Gill and Dean Hewitt. Uh, Gill tested positive for COVID. Uh, She had issues before they started the competition with a positive COVID test. Uh, But a last-minute reprieve yesterday saw that overturned. Uh, They went on to beat Switzerland and Canada for their first wins of the tournament. It's the first time Australia has won a game in curling at the Winter Olympics. So they're off and away. It was a pretty frantic 24 hours for them. Look, I don't know about you, Claire, but I'm really leaning into the Winter Olympics. I spent a fair chunk of time this morning watching Jakara Anthony's run. Uh, It's pretty incredible. Um, I'll pop a link to that in your episode notes. And just a reminder that at the end of this podcast, we've got the Beijing Blitz, all you need to know about the highlights from the Winter Games. And if you're keen on more sport, tune into our Sport Today podcast, hit subscribe and it'll drop into your podcast hosting platform at 6.30 every morning. Thanks for your company today. We'll be back tomorrow. message now from our podcast partner, BHP. Across the next couple of weeks, we'll be talking to Squizzers about BHP and the work they're doing to provide the materials that we need to transition to a low emission economy for the energy transition. At the start of the podcast, you heard how copper is used to make electric vehicles, wind turbines and solar panels. So when it comes to producing it, reducing emissions is a priority. And that's why BHP is making solar, wind and battery deals to help power their South Australian Olympic Dam copper mine. It's happening now at BHP.